Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The Chris and Amy Show, sponsored by Summer at SLU. Find your kids' best summer yet at St. Louis University. Okay, three, two, one, hit it. It's the Chris and Amy Show. You know who it is. Also, if you didn't know, this is called the show. Now, Amy Marks pours Chris Ranji on KMOX. Oh, baby, it's Monday. Good morning, everybody. It is the Chris and Amy show with Amy Marks Kors. Hey. And uh, Chris Ranji. Hope you're having a terrific start to your week. Let's make it a little bit better for you. That's what we're here for. 314-436. Don't, don't you cock your head sideways like eh. 314-436-7900. Call it. Text it. Leave us a voicemail at 314-944-1120. Man, we'd love to hear from you. So we would appreciate if you did reach out. You can also reach out on Twitter if you want. And uh, we're on the social media platforms at Chris Amy KMOX. Time now for the top of the order. The top three stories everybody will be talking about. As you may have heard during the news, there is a town hall meeting tonight in Ward 10 about public safety. They'll cover crime in the area. And Megan Green, president of the Board of Aldermen, will be with us at the bottom of the hour. And are you not afraid of flying? Well, you will be now because the door got sucked out of an Alaskan Airlines in the middle of a flight. Everyone had to put on their oxygen masks. One of the kid near the door, his coat got sucked out the door, too. Heard a couple of phones flew out that pole, too. So anyway, if you need something to worry about, we got you. Can't worry about the Golden Globes. Everything went swimmingly last night, except for the opening monologue, which apparently wasn't very good. Uh, We will discuss the Golden Globes and all the weirdness that happened there. Um, That award show going on during the last week of the NFL season, I'd like to see what the numbers are for something like that. I'm glad you made that connection. Taylor Swift was at the Golden Globes. Right. Uh, I just thought she was there because she's famous, but I think she was there because her Eras Tour was nominated for a Golden Globe. The movie. The movie. Sorry, the Eras Tour movie. But here's my question. Travis Kelsey was not there. Didn't the Chiefs play in California? Uh, The Chargers, yeah. Yeah, they played the Chargers. Okay. Travis Kelsey probably could have made it after the game, and we had this discussion. We were watching the game in the Golden Globes. Would it have been a bad look? And in my head, it wasn't because I thought, well, the game's over. He's not going to do anything after the game anyway, except for a rest. But um, Mason Jar said he could see how it would be a bad look if you go to the Golden Globes and then you lose the playoff game. Well, he didn't play, right? Right. He didn't play in the game. So, um, look, it's it's Los Angeles. I don't know how close the venues are. You know how where where uh, the Chargers I mean, Stadium is compared to where uh, the Golden Globes are. Right. Um, would it yeah. have been a bad look, do you think? A bad look? Because it didn't occur to me that it would be a bad look. 
But Mason Jar, who is a Chiefs fan, said he could see how it would, why would you even go there to start that narrative Would people would say, oh, he's not focused on football. He's at the Golden Globes. I don't know if it'd be worth it because That's what he said. The, the Golden Globes are what? They start about 7, 8 o'clock, right? Yeah. Was it 7, 7 o'clock? o'clock? So our time. That game started at 325. It's over three hours, three, three and a half hours. Um, the, the, by the time the game ends, that ceremony is starting. So it's not like, because then you got to, you have to do uh, post-game press stuff. You have to shower, you have to leave. I mean, by the time you would yeah. get there, he'd be well into the ceremony. So I'm not sure it's worth it. And not worth it for him, meaning convenience wise or yeah. the storyline of, oh, if they don't play well in the foot in the playoff game next week, people will think, oh, see, he was distracted. Oh, see. Now, People are ridiculous when it comes to stuff like that. And there have been, I think, a number of people already who have tried to make that connection that, hey, he's not having the best season, Mm -hmm. not compared to what he typically does. The Chiefs aren't as good as they usually are, even though they are still very good. Um, And it's got to have something to do with her. There are people who make that connection. And by people, do you mean me? Oh, I don't think you're serious. Well, I mean, I don't think there are enough serious people who really mean that, though. I think it's a minority. I know they don't have anyone who can catch the ball. But other than that, right, other than the fact that the Chiefs can't catch the ball, don't you think it's actually harder to believe that the biggest entertainment celebrity phenomenon the world has ever seen (laughs) wouldn't have some impact on a football team? (laughs) Name anyone bigger than Taylor Swift. How does it affect them on game day? Well, I mean, every sports, it's not a vacuum. You don't play. Sunday doesn't happen on a vacuum, right? Your daily life is going to be messed up. Your, your Brittany Mahomes is hanging out with Taylor Swift now. Maybe Patrick's like, hey, what's going on? You're going to be out. Do I have to watch the kids? Are you going out with Taylor Swift? I got to play a football game. I know Giselle is no Taylor Swift in terms of celebrity, but Nobody's, Tom, no. Tom Brady is, but you know, you're dating a celebrity. I don't, I don't think so. But Giselle Bündchen is not a phenomenon. Russell Wilson, uh, Ciara? Not a phenomenon. You can't compare them to Taylor Swift. We've never They're seen They're all any, celebrities, though. But we've never seen a phenomenon like Taylor Swift. No, but I don't think it has anything to do with what's happening on the field. I think it's that and, and the it's, wide receivers. It's well, <laughs> And the wide receivers. <laughs> that one's doing a lot of work. <laughs> it's Taylor Swift. And, and it could be the wide receivers. receivers. It's it's just the other stuff. Yeah. I think people like you, to, yeah. I think it's weird that people maybe it's not that weird. But I don't like that people draw those conclusions. But see, that they here, say the reason a team's not playing I well is because con- of this outside I draw stuff. the conclusion out of respect for Taylor Swift. Because it's uh, This woman has created something that we've never seen as far as fandom, uh, the the way she's affecting the economy, the way people are losing their minds following her. Uh, what she's done in the business. No one has ever done what she's done. So how could she not have an impact on everything she touches? Well, uh, well, she does, but I don't know if it's if it's team performance. I would say that if you are, and I mean, let's be honest, of the hundreds of players in the NFL, yeah. there are guys going through marital problems yeah. or, you know, something is going on at home. Maybe they've got a sick kid. And they can still perform. I would think that's way harder to, to perform well when something like that is going on in your life than if the thing that's going on in your life is you're dating a superstar. If the Chiefs lose next weekend, do you think the headline will be a swift exit? Yes. It probably will. Don't yeah. you think so? You're really good at headlines. 
Which is weird, if but not if I write the story. Because I, I was not a radio person. I was a writer. And I could never think of a title for the story. I could never think of a headline. But when it comes to slogans and headlines now for other people, Dude, that's what that's I would like put, your, a swift exit. If, if there were a way mm-hmm. to make a considerable amount of money, that's what you should be doing, is headlines. You're so good Can at I it. Can I make money that way? Probably a little bit. You could be an editor. I know we got to get to our headlines, um, our, our top stories. I do want to throw our text line out and our phone number, 314-436-7900. I have a quick question for our audience. Um, last what is a caucus? <laughs> no, nobody answered that. I'm disappointed in you. Uh, nobody knows. I ran out of gas last week, and then I unran out of gas, no. and I want to know if the gas sloshed. And that's how I started the car again. Could you explain what slosh means? Because you so, tried to explain that. And this is here's the what stupidest. <clears throat> when I got to work, I was pulling into the garage and and my gas gauge was well below E, oh. which meant I probably had like 20 miles. That's what I figured. So I leave the garage, right, which is right at Tucker. And I'm driving down Tucker. I don't even know, 200 feet. And I hit the gas, nothing happens. It almost feels like I'm slowing down. I hit the gas again, and it feels like I'm braking. And I just start rolling. And I roll across City Hall, you know, down on Tucker. And I get to Clark, and I pull over because there's a spot right there at Clark out of gas. Unbelievable. So I'm getting ready to call AAA. And I'm going to turn my car off. I I guess the engine went off, but the electronics were still on. So I hit the start-stop button. The car restarts. So are you trying? And then I drive to the scary gas station at Convention and Tucker. But did I think I ran out of gas because it was well below E? That's why my car went off. That's why the engine stopped running. And I think when I stopped, it's like a water bottle or a water container, and the gas went. So are you? Are you? Here's what you're suggesting. You're suggesting it's a similar idea to when the water cooler is running out. And the only way to get the water out is to tip the water yeah. cooler? Like I was slightly downhill. That's what you think it happened? Yes. In your engine? Yes. I don't, come on. Because dude. I ran out of gas and then right, I unran out of gas and I made it a half te- mile. Text us if that's what happens. Because I think it's probably more your, the gauge in your car. There's something wrong with your vehicle. But I mean, it was below E. It wasn't like I wasn't out of gas. I was out <laughs> of gas. It was well below E. And then I went to the scary gas station, which I know that I think it's the sixth ward had said it's a nuisance. It's a nuisance. <laughs> Text message says a reserve tank. It's called a reserve tank. It's very small. Running your vehicle out of fuel is harmful, potentially hydraulic engine, which is extremely expensive to repair. So you need to get your stuff together. So wait, did I hurt it? Well, I mean, it's probably fine now, but I wouldn't make a habit of it. No, I know. People even say that going well below E and getting it that low is harmful to your engine. And here's who I blame. Chris Myhill, the former executive producer of the Charlie Brennan show. He turned it into this whole contest. Chris, if you're listening, I blame you. If you're not, it's Chris. Are you afraid of getting sucked out of an airplane? <laughs> well, have I got a story for you? <laughs> it's Chris and Amy show on KMOX. Chris and Amy on KMOX. Text messages 314-436-7900. We were just talking about Amy's uh, uh, empty tank of gas mishap. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.
And uh, a texter says that the E stands for enough. And I'm assuming they mean like how much gas I got. Enough. Enough. That's pretty good. Get me to wherever I'm going. That's how I feel. So the E to me stands for 20 miles. Have you ever been? I have been on the highway and the number goes down because you have the. the newer cars, yeah, like I have the, the last number. fifteen it was years, dashed have this, out. Yeah, yeah, and it was at zero, and I thought, okay, I hope that's not accurate. I hope it's not. So good here's why I know it's not accurate. When mine hits forty, it's, um, it's just total chaos. Hitting forty doesn't mean you have forty miles. Hitting forty means it might drop to zero in five minutes. It might drop to zero in thirty minutes. It's the weirdest thing. But once you hit forty, basically, I think the car manufacturers were like, you should never get this low. You should never let it hit 40 because it's not accurate. It doesn't go down three miles left, two miles left. It just goes from 40 to zero, (laughs) and it dashes out. That's not good. Texter says we should contact uh, John Hancock, who can explain low what what it means to be low on gas. Does he do that routinely? Does he let it run past the? I don't know, but I know he speaks frequently about being a terrible driver. No, why? He hits things. He can't park. I believe that. Why though? I don't know. The dude didn't know that the support beam out in the newsroom had been there the for years. The support beam is five feet wide. Yeah, and he said, when did this get here? I couldn't imagine driving in a car with him. Hmm. Dangerous. Speaking of dangerous, how yeah. about getting on a Boeing 737 MAX 9? Maybe you heard the story about what happened on Friday where some airlines don't use that uh, the certain exits. They've mm-hmm. got the... Uh, the emergency exits, and instead they have on that door what they call a plug. Mm-hmm. So it's just like a, it's not an actual door. It just fills that hole there. Yeah. Well, this flight was. Because they have a rear emergency exit. They have exit, a rear emergency Which exit. is typical on international flights. Right. Yeah. So you've got the front, you got the back, yeah. and some don't use the one in the middle. Well, this one blew right off. Nobody was hurt. Nobody died. Nobody got sucked out the hole. But, um, they but they have could now, have. They could have. Because there was a child in the row where the section got blown off the plane and his shirt was, quote, sucked off of him. Uh, which I have to get to the bottom of that. How do you, was how it a buttoned shirt? shirt? Does it get like. Did he have his hands up? I don't. And the shirt got sucked off his body? <laughs> I don't... It's not funny, but it's kind of funny. I don't know how that happens. Anyway, there was nobody sitting directly next to it. Just so happened that the, the two seats. Right next to that exit or non-exit, were um, were unoccupied. But about 220 United flights are affected by a grounding now because of this this 737 Max nine aircraft. I well, I know that the Boeing 737 Max is it's pervasive. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. We've all probably been on one. But man, this just feels like another thing because you remember the software yeah. problem, and it was a safety mechanism on the plane that caused two of them to crash. It was a couple of years ago. And it was because from what I understand, the pilots weren't properly trained on it. So it was a, it was a security feature that's supposed to help the pilots, but it was working against the pilots because they didn't know what was going on because they weren't properly trained. Yeah. And this, what's interesting is this Boeing 737 max nine. I mean, it had been delivered to Alaska airlines in October. This was a brand new plane. And they basically, they took off. They were up in the air for six minutes. They got to 16,000 feet. So six minutes into the flight, 16,000 feet. And then that little door slash window blew off. 
and the pilots radioed that they had a that the cabin had become depressurized, that they needed to drop to 10,000 feet. They declared it an emergency, but said it was a deep a pressurization issue. I mean, yeah, when the door blows off, I would call it a door blown off issue. Uh, from everything that I have read and seen, the people who were on the flight were calm. And I don't know how you do it. There were Mm -hmm. 171 passengers on the flight as it happened. How in the world do you remain calm if the door blows off mid-flight? I'm a pretty calm person. I don't know that I could do that. And they said that wind... The, it got super windy in there. It was blowing everywhere. There were there was debris blowing around the cabin. They didn't know if it was from the cabin or, or if the it was door ice or something. Or yeah. Ice, yeah. So this is crazy. I don't know if you heard this, but a Sean Bates is a resident of Washington State. He found an iPhone on the side of the road and he picked it up. Mm-hmm. That iPhone was in airplane mode with half a battery and it was open to a baggage claim app. Guess what? It that was, was from the plane. That was from the plane. It fell 16,000 feet. I believe feet. there were two phones yes, that got recovered. And this one still worked. <laughs> it was still working. Wow. They found the door, too, in some guy's backyard, and his name was Bob. So here's, I was asking about the door because that would be, oh, that would stink as a way to die because it is not comical at all. But also, how do you tell, how do future generations explain how Bob died? Bob didn't die. I'm just saying if Bob, Bob had died. found the the, yeah. the door plug. Like, well, your uncle Chris Ranji, um, a door blew off a plane and landed on him. Wouldn't you be like, well, what did Uncle Chris do? Because obviously Nothing. the universe was going after him. Yeah. Well, I just I guess I just got sucked out the door. You know. No, I you didn't, didn't get sucked out the door. You were in your home. You were walking oh, down the street. Oh, you mean street. the door hit me the while I was walking? The door hit you. Yeah. I thought about that door. That thing would, I mean, absolutely kill someone. Multiple people if you're standing next to each other. What it, I mean, like I said, it would be tragic, but also kind of embarrassing. So is this a thing where odd stuff happens to planes all the time? We just don't really hear about I don't it. Think so. This one, I don't think you can avoid. This is not the kind of thing that an airline could say, yeah, why don't we sweep this under the rug? Because <laughs> it happened to 170 people. They all witnessed it. Word was going to get out, right? Can't cover up something like this. But is it possible that, that all these things happen to planes all the time and that we just don't hear about them, whereas with the 737 MAX, mm-hmm. it has had those two fatal crashes, which, I mean, Where obviously. Where was that again? Where were those? Those were not American. Those were not American-based airlines. I, I, I don't remember. I want to say they were not American-based airlines. Like, this was not United. It was not American Airlines. It was not Southwest. Um, because I had just looked at some There were statistics. two within the course of a few months. Right, but I've just looked at some statistics, and no U.S.-based airlines have had a crash um, in at least 10 years. Yeah. So um, th- To talk about the amount of suction, though, and the force with which this piece of the plane was blown off, other components of the plane were sucked out of the airplane as well. We talked about the shirt that was on the kid. Several headrests, a seat back, and a tray table. Do you know the amount of force you have to have? To rip that off. To rip off headrests, a seat back, and a tray table? Mm -hmm. That's why they tell you to keep it locked and upright. That's why you should buckle in. I always thought it was so you didn't hit your head on the seat in front of you when you crash, but so you don't get sucked out of the plane. Well, I thought, to me, my thinking was, even if I'm buckled in, won't the seat rip out? I thought that would happen. 
No, I think the seat, because no seats got sucked out. But if, I don't mm. think there's enough pressure to Anyway, I hope they fix the that problem. We've got uh, Alderwoman Megan Green joining us in just a moment. We will talk about the public safety town hall happening tonight here in St. Louis. It's Chris and Amy on KMOX. And I'm excited. It's going to have, um, of course, President Green, Chief Tracy, Dr. Coyle, uh, of course, Gore, um, Gabe Gore, our circuit attorney, uh, Dr. Punch, who I have the utmost, utmost respect and admiration for the work that he does in the community. It's immeasurable. St. Louis Alderwoman Shameen Clark Hubbard will be in attendance tonight at the St. Louis Public Safety Town Hall, which is happening at the Urban League of Metro St. Louis on Kings Highway. It again is happening tonight. We'll get started at 6 o'clock. And we are joined now on the Quiver River Electric guest line by Alderwoman Megan Green, who is the president of the Board of Aldermen, uh, joining us now on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Good morning, uh, Alderwoman. It is good to talk to you. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Uh, we're doing well over here, and um, I know that a lot of people are looking forward to what happens uh, tonight. What do we expect? Because I know it's open to open to the public. Uh, Chief Tracy is going to be there. What are your expectations for this town hall? Well, really, we want to make sure that the public understands that public safety is a coordinated effort between city government and community organizations. And I think that's why we've been really intentional to make sure that we have both at the table um, so that the public also comes away with an understanding of who is responsible for what. You know, what's the role of the the Board of Aldermen in the public safety process versus the chief versus community organizations, um, and then answering those um, burning questions that the public has. Will tonight's meeting address at all the severe shortage of police officers in St. Louis City? You know, we've had um, a lot of questions that have been submitted already. Uh, I know that my team has been going through them to put them into kind of categories. So I I would guess that that's um, one of the things that is is going to come up. But I do think that um, when we talk about things like police staffing numbers, we still have to recognize that we are one of the highest staffed police departments per capita in the country. And especially coming off of a year where we have had um, dramatic decreases in uh, number of crimes in the city. I think we have to understand that policing is only one piece of the puzzle um, and and that there's a lot more to public safety than simply police or the number of police officers. Uh, to that point, the argument has been that there aren't enough police in the city of St. Louis, which is part of the issue that, as it pertains to crime. Do you, so you believe that's not true, that there are enough police in the city? I do. I think that we have to understand that um, when we're talking about shortages, it's in relation to um, our authorized force level. And St. Louis police forces authorized force level is among the highest per capita in the entire country. And even with the, the you know, 200 um, down officers that that we have below that authorized force level, we still have some of the highest numbers uh, of officers per capita in the entire country. And so I, I think we need to be really real about that and recognize that, um, you know, what we need to be working toward is the most effective and efficient use of our police resources and also investment in those community organizations and other partnerships that really get at the root causes of crime. 
Yeah, and I definitely understand that public safety goes beyond the number of police officers and policing. It's multifaceted. But I think there are definitely people in the city who feel like, well, we say there are enough police officers, but there was one um, day back in September when there were only two police officers to work an entire shift uh, in District 3, and then they called in sick. Uh, That seems so District 3 had no police officers. That seems a little thin. I mean, I think, again, what we need to to be looking at is the way that our police department is structured. Um, We have a very top-heavy police department and have historically had a police department where we promote people off the street uh, for all intents and purposes. And and so I think, you know, part of discussions around policing need to be about how we allocate the resources we have, not simply to just always add more. So you're saying that there are uh, too many people in, say, management, administration or whatever, as opposed to being on the street? Correct. Um, also, what about the 911 dispatchers? Obviously, the issue of 911 calls uh, being on hold for 30, 45 minutes. Uh, this was personal for me. Um, a mutual acquaintance had a cardiac event in Forest Park, could not get an ambulance there for over 35 minutes. Um, he eventually died. Uh, what can you tell residents who are frustrated and don't have confidence in 911 dispatchers being able to answer their calls in a timely fashion and also to dispatch emergency services in a rapid fashion? Well, I think we need to give actually a lot of props to Mayor Jones and to um, our personnel director, Sonia Gray. They have, uh, over the last probably four or five months, dramatically increased the number of 911 uh, call center operators to the point where um, we're around having 80% of calls uh, answered, I think, within that 10-second range, which is the national standard that we're going to. Does it still need some improvement? Yes. Um, but the efforts that they've been making in, in hiring and, you know, after the Board of Aldermen in partnership with the mayor and comptroller were able to raise wages, um, we've seen a lot more interest in the job and have been able to fill those positions. So I anticipate that's only going to keep getting better. St. Louis president of the Board of Aldermen, uh, Megan Green, is with us here on KMOX. We, uh, we saw last week, at the beginning of last week, some of the latest homicide numbers in the city of St. Louis, which have gone down. Um, the, the sexual assault, robbery, aggravated assault, uh, felony theft also uh, falling about 22 percent. There was also the story about how much of that data is, is being given to the public. Should we be able to see more of that it, it, or, or are we getting what we what you believe we need? I do think that uh, transparency is good. I I think having these crime uh, stat numbers publicly available like we have historically is um, what we should be doing. And it is my understanding that on Friday that um, information was put up on the city website and that, um, you know, the, the police department responded to the the critique and was able to get that information. And my understanding is from here on out, that information will be provided. What about the, there was a crime summit several months ago with uh, business leaders, city leaders, and there was the focused deterrence program out of University of Maryland headed by 
uh, Thomas Apt of the Council on Criminal Justice, that he would be partnering with the city, with the region to fight crime, uh, also with that focused deterrence uh, approach. Have you been in much contact uh, with Thomas Apt and that program over the months since that meeting? We have, my office has been involved um, with those meetings and, and with that summit. Focused deterrence certainly is um, a model that has showed some really promising results um, across the country. I, you know, I think the, the thing that is um, good about it is it really requires that partnership between community organizations, city government, law enforcement, prosecutor's office um, to take more of a preventative approach to crime than a reactive approach to crime. Visiting with the president of the Board of Aldermen, Megan Green, here on KMOX. And um, as a resident yourself, I, I know that you are privy to information and, and you can, you know, you have the ability to speak with uh, city leadership. Are there questions you have? So for a, a public hearing like tonight, are there things that you would like to see answered? I mean, I, I think from my point of view, um, the way I, I approach public safety um, as president of the board, is that we, you know, anytime that we're giving more authority to police, we also need to be creating um, more regulation, oversight, and transparency. And so I'm, I'm interested in digging into that. I mean, we're um, getting ready at the, the board to forward two different bills, one um, that would establish an automated traffic enforcement system in the city to address traffic violence. But then we're pairing that um, with another bill that would create oversight um, for those surveillance systems. So when um, there is more um, surveillance, whether it's through traffic cameras or, or things like ShotSpotter, that the public is aware and has the ability to provide input um, in the use of those technologies before they get implemented. I think that part of the piece of the puzzle to reducing crime has to be building trust between communities um, and law enforcement and city government. And one of the ways that we can always do that is through enhancing transparency. I know a lot of times with city leaders, I mean, and, and rightfully so, they're optimistic about the city or they're optimistic about plans that they will be implementing to grow the city, to fight crime. However, we also see that the city is losing residents and that businesses are closing or leaving and that there is a perception that it's just not safe. How would you explain that disconnect between the messages coming out of City Hall and what the people in the city and the outside areas perceive um, of what's going on? I mean, I, I think first and foremost, we have to get better at telling our story. You know, almost every night you turn on the, the nightly local, local news and all you see is negative information about the city when we have a lot of really great things that are happening here. And when it comes to population decline, I think we also have to recognize that um, perceptions of public safety may be one reason that um, folks don't want to live in the city, but there are a lot of reasons. I mean, I, um, you know, I've been a, a professor for years and worked with students that come from all across the country. They love St. Louis, but they don't stay here because they are queer and they are afraid of what our state government will do to them, or they don't like that they have lost their rights to 
bodily autonomy and to make their own reproductive health choices. And so they end up leaving, not because they don't like St. Louis, but because they do not like the regressive policies that are being passed through Jefferson City. Do, do you also think it may have something to do with the perception that there just isn't much going on? Because I know a lot of people who, who just say that, that. I have visitors from out of town who, will, who come here and they'll say, man, there's, there's not anything happening here. I mean, I, I take a lot of, I think, um, you know, I, I'll push back on that a lot. I think we have a, a lot of really great things happening in St. Louis. We have great amenities. We have a great, um, you know, museum zoo district. We have wonderful art scene and food scene. And, you know, a lot of times when I host folks from out of town, they come away from St. Louis and they say, wow, all we hear nationally is all of this negative news about St. Louis. But actually, once I've been here and I've gotten opportunity to engage in our arts community or engage in our music community or go to our museums, they're in love with this city. And um, and they don't understand why both we talk so negatively about ourselves and nationally they talk so negatively about us. Tonight, 6 o'clock until 7.30 at the Urban League of Metropolitan St. Louis. It is a public safety town hall, 1408 North Kings Highway. It's in the Fountain Park neighborhood. Board of Aldermen President Megan Green, thank you for your time today. Thank you. That is Megan Green visiting with us here on KMOX. As we mentioned, Shamim Clark Hubbard, who was on the show on Friday, also going to be in attendance, I believe, moderating what will yeah. happen tonight. And I know we'll continue this conversation at 12 as well, um, short on time. Uh, but, but I would push back against um, that the reason why the city population or is bleeding population is that uh, there's regressive legislation could be or some the of it, LGBT though. community, but it's not 100,000 people. No, but it could be some of that. families leaving, families with yeah. children because they don't feel safe, um, that is a problem. We want St. Louis families to feel supported, people who are here. It's not that students come here and then don't want to stay. These are St. Louis families families who were born here and live here, who are living the city, having no problem going to St. Charles. So but it is I would also, push back. Amy, it is also true, though, that a lot of students who grew up here, went away to college, don't come back. They don't come back to St. Louis. But that's not the 100,000 people who left. No, it's part of it. It's not all of it, but it is part of it. it I don't think you can deny don't that. It would be why we don't add to it. It wouldn't be why we lost 100,000 families. And I would say, I want to live downtown. I want to live in those lofts, either whether on Washington or by Ballpark Village. That should be so cool. And at times it is cool. But like you said, it's kind of dead. There's yeah, nothing it's a, it's around a, it. That's, that's what it is. That's it's, what it's, it is. Well, but it's part of it. I think all we can't just say it's one thing and not a bunch of things. And I think it is a bunch of things all at once. That's Amy Marks Cores. I'm Chris Ranji. Did you see this next on KMOX? Did you see that thing? I can't believe it. Something is obviously wrong. This is a joke, right? Oh, my God. Are you freaking kidding me? No way. You got to be kidding me. Don't feel bad. There's no way you could have known that. Now, did you see this with Chris and Amy on the show? Ranji, I don't know if you saw this big story in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Elon Musk is using illegal drugs so frequently, basically all the time, it's really starting to worry leaders at Tesla and SpaceX. Executives and board members fear that Elon Musk's use of drugs, which includes LSD, cocaine, ecstasy, mushrooms, and ketamine, could harm his companies. Apparently, it's just frequent drug use at home, at parties. These are, this is not like smoking pot. 
cocaine, ecstasy, mushrooms, ketamine, and LSD. Yeah. It's he it's escapism. It's obviously he wants to get away from something. A lot of these drugs like ketamine are used for disassociative existence. Uh I don't with how him. How bizarre. Yeah, with him. I don't know that it's about escapism and or I don't think it's about getting away from problems. I think for him it's about he's one of those weirdos that believes in that there's some higher consciousness that he can reach that he can reach in a disassociated state that that nobody else could possibly understand unless he does. He's very similar to the Aaron Rodgers types. Yeah. You know, the the dark rooms and the ayahuasca and all that crap. Like he's he is into that kind of thing. And I also think that for some people who reach the level of wealth he has, mm-hmm. there's probably an element of, hey, I mean, what could possibly what could possibly stimulate me other than drugs? Yeah. Because it's not like there's anything else. It's interesting. I listen to um, I, Tim Keller. He has since passed away, but he has like sermons on podcasts. I really like Tim Keller. Anyway, very, very smart guy. And he was saying, you know, we tell people that money and fame will make you happy. Money and fame will make you happy. And if you always are reaching for something, you have that hope. If I get this, then I will be happy. If I get this. But once you have everything and you're still not happy, there's nowhere to go. There's no hope. It's, oh, well, I got this and I'm still not happy. I Listen, I don't know how Elon Musk is. And I think there's a really strong argument for what you said, that he believes there's a higher state that you can reach yeah. if you disassociate. He also doesn't strike me as a peaceful, happy person either. So who knows? No, he seems like a like an angry jerk. But I will say this about getting money. It will not make you happy. But it won't make you depressed. But it will no, <laughs> but it will it will remove a lot of worry right. from your life. You won't have to worry That's about right. things most people have to worry about. But if you're counting on it to make you happy, it can't do that either. Chris and Amy on KMOX. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.